Hello and welcome to episode 6 of The Inner Odyssey, a podcast about developing self-awareness, self-confidence, and self-determination through living honestly and practicing self-love. Thank you for dropping by. Thank you for all your feedback on past episodes. Today we are going to explore the thinking faculty, the black box of self-determinism. We will discuss how the words you use in both your internal and external dialogue inevitably shape your reality and the character of your experiences. In past episodes, we discuss how the things we think about ourselves and the things we say determine our behavior and the way we are treated in the world. We discuss how it was vitally important to carefully choose the words we place after the phrase, I am, so that our self-definition is always empowering. We touch on how the caliber and content of our thoughts in response to everyday events help define us and use the example of waking up one morning to find your car missing and explore your subsequent responses to this event. The goal of today's show is to really emphasize the necessity and importance of maintaining a positive view of yourself based on what comes out from inside, that is, what you produce and disperse to the world at large your words, and your actions. It all starts with positive thoughts and a nurturing internal dialogue. This then leads to having positive self-regard, which in turn leads to behaviors and actions that can be highly regarded and therefore results in a person of esteem interacting with the world. I would like to get a bit more personal and not only look at the content of your internal dialogue, but also explore how the beliefs we hold dear allow us to consciously and unconsciously define ourselves as helpless and powerless and or unlovable and defective and or worthless and unacceptable. These beliefs in turn determine how others treat us and how we allow ourselves to be treated, thereby creating an environment that confirms our beliefs about ourselves despite evidence to the contrary. I'm going to explore how commonly practiced errors in thinking, a pattern of generalized and biased thoughts that we entertain about ourselves and the world tend to shape and support our core beliefs. Typically, negative thought patterns are referred to as cognitive distortions. They are habitual thoughts that include practices like fortune telling, overgeneralization, black or white thinking to name a few, all of which frame our internal dialogue. Whether used alone or in combination, these cognitive distortions make us feel helpless and powerless in general, as far as our worthiness is concerned, and diminish our capacity and ability to receive and give love. Take the belief that I am different. Perseveration in this general idea and the applicable traits and characteristics of reference, i.e hair color or texture, complexion, language, education level, income level, etc., will make you feel like you are unworthy of acceptance, unlovable, misunderstood, powerless, and trapped, unless the things that made you different are rectified. Entertaining these thoughts then make it easier to embrace the helplessness mindset, its supporting beliefs, and self-fulfilling actions and behavior. As we discussed in the last episode, Beliefs are simply thoughts that are deeply entrenched in the mind, which we have wholeheartedly accepted and decided to have absolute confidence in. These beliefs sit in the subconscious and whether true or not, relevant or irrelevant, color our experiences and thoughts and thereby distort our thinking. 
These false beliefs could have been established as a result of a bad experience, something seen on TV or read in a newspaper. They could even be from another person sharing their experiences or recollections. Think about some of the things you were told as a kid to deter you from doing something that could have gotten you into trouble. For example, people who still get their hands chopped off, or if you stay out after dark, bad things happen. What about those things that you may have heard from your parents or friends about certain people? Ghosts, working with family, about money, etc. The list goes on and on. So going back to the belief of, quote unquote, I am different. This belief could have stemmed from being excluded from some activity when you were a kid, or not being able to participate in some activity because of weight, height, skill, or ability level. Regardless of the reason, when the exclusion happened, it was infused with strong emotions and internalized so it lives within and colors similar experiences and situations that we encounter to this day. Recently, I met a lady who did not bring in some requested paperwork. When I asked if she had the paper, she said, no, I'm bad. To me, this was surprising because it was not that serious, just inconvenient. That comment was a typical example of overgeneralization, a pattern of thinking that draws a general conclusion based on limited experiences. Granted, she may have done many silly things in her lifetime that she believed would support that label of being quote unquote bad, but do any of these experiences really make her a bad person? In addition, this self-description voiced aloud not only reinforces to herself this negative self-perception, but it tells other people what she believed about herself and how she expects to be treated. In addition to overgeneralizing, this comment also shows her to be employing another destructive thought pattern called selective abstraction, a focus on the negative aspects of the person, in this case herself, or situation rather than the entire picture. Just engaging in these thought patterns in reference to yourself can lead to a feeling of being unworthy or unlovable and the development of deeply entrenched self-esteem issues that affect many other aspects of life and relationships. Her internal dialogue would likely include thoughts and beliefs like, quote unquote, I am a failure, I am not good enough, I am defective, etc all reinforcing core beliefs of being helpless, unlovable, and unworthy. Since all humans have a desire to be loved and for companionship, as you can imagine, this person would be a yes person, someone who does whatever is necessary to fit in and be liked regardless of their personal preferences. This person would likely be plagued with depression because of feeling inferior and poorly about themselves and their life and likely have anxiety about having to do the right things to please others so that they would be liked. Another typical mental pattern that goes along with overgeneralization and selective abstraction is mind reading. Someone who thinks, quote unquote, I am bad, would automatically think that the person with whom they interact will not like them and think of them negatively. As you can see, continuing on this trajectory, she will likely come off as hostile and untrusting of others, which in turn will cause others to treat her less than optimally despite their good intentions. 
I hope that simple example illustrated to you how our internal dialogue and the associated thoughts create our reality and teach others how to treat us. Let us turn our attention now to some traumatic events that can see to the formation of some destructive core beliefs and negative thought patterns. Then we will explore how we can reform our thought processes so that they do not continue to negatively impact our life. Usually with the formation of negative thought patterns, there's a history of some type of loss, perceived or otherwise involved, either personally or with another person. Take the scenario in which a person grew up in a home where the parents divorced or separated. Unfortunately, this is quite common for a host of reasons, but the results are invariably the same. Unless there was a lot of reassurance, support, education, and nurturing provided, the little person involved would come to think that they were somehow to blame for the separation and start to entertain thoughts that they were toxic or evil. If circumstances are such that one or both parents are not involved or as attentive, more than likely the little person will continue to assume that they're no longer loved and did something to cause the neglect. These thoughts and the associated feelings give rise to the belief that they are not good enough or abandoned. In most circumstances, especially when there's bickering between the parties involved, the child will feel that they have to choose sides so as not to lose the love of one parent. But not wanting to hurt either parent, they then feel trapped, helpless, powerless, and weak. So altogether, this child will grow up feeling helpless, unlovable, and worthless, and develop negative thought patterns and an internal dialogue that reinforce these beliefs. In the adult life, as they form relationships, these thought patterns will come to bear and cause strife and distance in their relationships, despite their best efforts. Any problem will be responded to with a profound sense of loss, a repetition of what happened before. Therefore, sayings like, you are likely to have a relationship similar to what your parents had, or that you find yourself in relationship like you had prior, become truisms unless you have taken the steps to understand what is driving your decisions. After all, the mind likes things that are familiar, regardless of whether it is constructive or not. Before I get into ways to remedy, remedy these thought patterns, I want to address another common scenario that affects the beliefs of young persons. Think of a situation where one or both parents suffered from or dealt with abuse be it physical abuse or the abuse of drugs, alcohol, or food. You, having witnessed the pain and suffering that was involved, can tacitly or declaratively decide, I do not want to be like that, or this is all I know, so this is inevitable. This is me in a few years, even though I hate it. In either case, the decision and its associated thoughts will help in the formulation of the internal dialogue, beliefs, and actions that support the decision. If the decision was, I do not want to be like that, then that person will obsessively and rigidly refrain from alcohol or drugs, or develop eating and exercise patterns to prevent weight gain. They will employ for their perceived sanity a negative thinking pattern referred to as black and white or all or nothing thinking, and its equally restrictive counterpart, a pattern of absolutes and imperatives. Rather than making a decision from power, the decision is made from fear. 
I cannot ever use drugs or alcohol or else I'm an alcoholic or drug addict and will end up like my parents. And therefore, to prevent this thing I loathe, I absolutely should or must do this or that. If the decision made was, this is all I know, so this is inevitable, there again, the beliefs and the internal dialogue and subsequent actions will facilitate the manifestation of that decision. This is the pattern of emotional reasoning and the adoption of the helplessness mindset. There's nothing I can do about it. This is the way it is, therefore it must be true. This is why we typically see abuse patterns running in families. As we have discussed before, what the mind focuses on, it tends to bring to reality. So this emphatic focus on avoidance of drugs or alcohol or food will likely lead to what you are trying to avoid. On the other hand, what you have decided is inevitable will also come to pass because the mind lacks familiarity. Before we start discussing how to recognize and break the negative thought patterns, I want to bring to your attention something that you may not have acknowledged before. In all the scenarios discussed above, and the many others like them that act as precipitating events that see to the development of non-supportive internal dialogues and the cultivation of negative core beliefs, I want you to recognize that these things occurred in your life when you did not have the capacity to really understand what was going on. You were a little naive person with a narrow worldview and a limited understanding of the circumstances that surrounded you. At that time in your life, you were likely only aware of being cared for, having your needs met, and having fun. You were incapable of understanding the nuances and dynamics of the thoughts and actions of your adult caretakers. You, for example, did not understand why your mom or dad drank or used drugs, but you saw and knew that they were suffering and not as fun after they engaged in whatever destructive behaviors. You may have been told that the parent left to find better work or because mom and dad did not get along anymore. But I hope you realize now that this was an oversimplification of the complexities that are involved in the breakdown of a relationship. All in all, I want you to understand and acknowledge that as a child, based on these disruptions in your world, you entertain thoughts that solidified into beliefs without a comprehensive understanding of and the requisite knowledge to facilitate an adequate understanding of all that happened. That is, you formed beliefs and developed habits without having all the necessary information. And therefore, in hindsight, those beliefs were premature, inaccurate, and unsustainable, and can and should be rectified with the application of more insight. So how do we work on breaking negative thought patterns or cognitive distortions we discussed before? These negative thought patterns or cognitive distortion were, one, fortune telling, where you made premature predictions, usually negative, about what will happen without considering alternatives. For example, nothing good ever happens to me because I do not have money. Everyone thinks I'm stupid because I look this way. Two, imperatives and absolutes, utilizing rigid thoughts and ideas about a situation or person. I must always maintain a stiff upper lip. I should never speak to this type of person or do this type of thing. I must always get A's in all my classes. Three, polarized thinking, all or nothing thinking. There are no shades of gray present. 
He loves me, he loves me not. Common childhood game. I am good or bad. There's no in-between. Next is overgeneralization. Drawing conclusions based on limited data or information. Since it's raining here, it must be raining all over the world. I screwed that up, so therefore I must be incompetent. I burned the rice, so I'm a lousy cook. Next is mind reading. Goes right along with fortune telling and emotional reasoning. I'm sure they're going to say no to my request. They're going to think I'm stupid or inadequate because I'm asking a question. Then there's selective abstraction. Paying attention to all that is bad rather than in a situation and excluding the good bits. It is raining, therefore there's going to be a lot of traffic and I'll be late. Forgetting that April showers bring May flowers and summers without droughts and cleaner air. Finally, there's emotional reasoning. Goes along with fortune telling. Because you believe it's true, it must be so, despite evidence to the contrary or possible alternative explanations. I feel sad, therefore I'm depressed. Everyone in my family drinks, so it must be genetic, so I can't stop myself from drinking also. In addition to these negative thought patterns, there are three additional patterns that are usually applied in a negative manner, but can be applied with an alternative slant for your benefit. They are labeling, magnification of negatives and minimization of positives, and personalization. Because these patterns are familiar, they are readily accessible and will be met with less resistance by the mind that likes the familiar. The only thing that would be different will be the focus of the thoughts, that thing that creates the reality that is our life. So let's look at labeling first. Labeling is a strong instinct that seeks to identify and categorize otherwise neutral things that we observe, feel, and notice for speed and simplification, to keep the clutter out of our heads. Everything in our world is given a label. Because this is all happening in our minds and determine the content and trajectory of our thoughts and subsequently the internal dialogue, we will start with how you label yourself and your actions. As we discussed before, the words that come after I am are very important. We also discussed the necessity of being gentle with yourself and exercising restraint as you draw conclusions and make judgments, i.e. create labels. We also discussed looking objectively at situations before prematurely rendering judgment. So let's say that you found yourself in a situation where you felt compelled to tell a lie. Rather than falling into the trap of labeling yourself negatively as a liar or a failure, as is typical to do in retrospect, how about first assessing the reasons behind why you lied? Was it because you were scared, as is usually the case with lies? Why not then acknowledge that fear and get to the bottom of it without engaging in the aforementioned negative thought patterns like all or nothing thinking or mind reading or overgeneralization? Consider, was the fear you felt related to you feeling that you were going to be rejected or because you felt that you would be deemed incompetent or inadequate or be labeled a bad person? Now go below that. What made you think that you would be rejected or deemed inadequate or bad? Were you engaging in mind reading or emotional thinking perchance? Highly likely, regardless of the circumstance. 
How can you then label yourself while acknowledging that you made a mistake and were fearful of the consequence? Can you recognize and appreciate the fact that you are honest and trustworthy, but tend to falter and overreact when fear overwhelms you? And therefore, it is altogether inaccurate and unfair to label yourself otherwise. Is this not more an honest assessment? As you see, we have utilized another typical thought pattern in a way that is self-affirming, that of selective maximization and minimization. In this case, we have chosen to maximize the positive and minimize, after acknowledgement, the negative. As you can see, this goes back to what we previously discussed. That is, looking at the neutral things that we observe, felt, and noticed without embellishing them with the contents of our mental filters. Last but not least is the thought pattern of personalization. That tendency to take everything overt and covert as directed at you. This of course leads you to being very thin-skinned and sensitive and wrongly take criticism to heart. A tendency that does not foster equanimity, the ability to be unperturbed, regardless of whether things are positive or negative. Instead of letting things be an affront or taking umbrage to things, how about looking at whatever is happening, being said or done, as being for your benefit? As mentioned before, take the view that everything is happening for me and creatively go out and find ways to make this statement true. Find ways to prove to yourself that whatever is happening is of benefit to you. It tends to be a more creative and productive way to utilize your mental energy instead of fuming and fussy. As an exercise, look at a situation in your world that is causing you angst. Do you have all the information to, to make a definite, unalterable, incontestable judgment or conclusion? Can you assess your thoughts in that situation to determine which of the negative thought patterns you were applying to it? Can you then relabel the situation and your thoughts about it so that they are more accurate and nurturing? Can you find positives about that situation and yourself that can do with more accentuation or maximization? Is there something that you previously perceived or determined to be negative that can be reclassified as a positive? What are some viable alternative explanations to the situation? How is this situation happening for your benefit? I hope that you take the time to understand the negative thought patterns that nurture destructive core beliefs and create your reality. I also hope that you find the tools provided useful. It just dawned on me that I'm asking you to do a lot of cognitive work and I have not provided you with a sound and efficient way to concentrate, a way to focus the mind to achieve the benefits of applied contemplative power. We will do that next time. For now, however, remember, I am good enough, I am strong enough, I am powerful enough, I am capable enough, I am loved, lovable and loving. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Inner Odyssey. Share the show and subscribe to our podcast on anchor.fm slash The Inner Odyssey, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, care enough to act with virtue, dream despite your deepest fears, live honestly with dignity and grace, and above all, love without expecting reciprocation as you continue your inner odyssey.